What's up, everybody? You're listening to Suds Buds Presents Pints and Pixar, the show where we talk about the films of our childhood over an adult beverage. And with me, as always, co-host of this show, Mr. Nate Updell. What's going on, dude? I'm uh, just uh, excited, uh, excited to bust into this one. Toy Story 3. Uh, big fan of this one. Me too. Yeah. It's uh, it's tempting to uh, to turn this into the show where the Suds Buds talk uh, uh, Mortal Kombat, the movie, but uh, <laughs> we're not going to do that this week. We've done enough uh, off air. We might we might do it. I'm not I'm not committing one way or the other. Um, I might. It'll probably get brought up for those who haven't watched it. It's it's quite a bit of fun. You know, so Woody Woody is uh, Sub Zero and Buzz is Scorpion. You know, and it's yeah. We'll just draw lines and comparisons that aren't there. Who's Kano? Who's like the comic Ooh. relief of Toy Story? I feel like Mr. Ham? Potato Head. Ah, Potato Head, yeah. Like Potato Head kind of like 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 what I was saying uh, a couple episodes ago, like he is an instigator for sure. Like as soon as like somebody needs to form an angry mob, Potato Head's at the front of that line. <laughs> for anyone listening right now, I mean Mr. Potato Head's funny enough on his own, but uh quick pull out your sm- uh smartphone and type in Steve Harvey, Mr. Potato Head. It is. It's hilarious, but also like something from a nightmare. Yeah, most most Steve Harvey things are, um, putting his face on random shit. Yeah, the ridiculous shit he always says. Like, I think he was in the news recently about some clip that resurfaced where he's saying some stupid shit again. It's just Steve Harvey. He's one of the most gifable people on the planet. Such an animated face. <laughs> Uh, uh, he's a good fit for Family Feud. Do you think there's a valuable uh, Steve Harvey NFT out there right now? (laughs) Um, I think the correct question is, do I think there's a valuable NFT out there? (laughs) And I think judging by my tone, you can probably guess what my feelings are on that. Yes, and we are not here to give investment advice. We are here to talk about (laughs) animated films of our childhood and drink beer. So, uh... Yeah, what do you say we dive into Toy Story 3? Hell yeah, well, we're going to pour up a beer first. I suppose we should. Yeah, we should yeah, maybe yeah, get to the beer part of the episode. But I guess, oh uh, yeah, uh, which one are we doing for, ooh, yeah, okay. I think I got an idea. All right, yeah. So, we're going to start off a little lighter today. Um, we've got a beer called Henpex, which is a fruited wheat ale. Um, yeah, so in the theme of Toy Story 3 in this episode, we're trying to do beer pairings for each Pixar film. And we are doing beers tonight that involve strawberries, since our favorite antagonist, uh, 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 Lotso. Lotso, the Huggin' Bear, he uh, he smells like strawberries. Um, and we're also playing on threes, since it is the third Toy Story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this first one, uh, it's, it's the berry beer. Um, and it's a pretty cool one. It comes to us from Lupulin, and I just want to take a minute, because I know this is... We do some goofy stuff, but this is kind of a little serious thing I want to get out of the way. This is kind of a, a a beer for a good cause, which I didn't even notice when I bought it. I mean, I bought it just on label alone. Yeah, the, the can's very cool. Um, But this beer, Henpex, it says, This beer is brewed in honor of Melissa, a.k.a. Mother Hen. 
who not only deals with our shenanigans, but battles MS on a daily basis. She loves raspberries and strawberries about as much as she loves us, so we brewed this fruited wheat ale for her. It's sweet and a little tart, just like her, and a portion of the proceeds will be donated to the National MS Society to help her fight this clucking thing. So, very cool. Drinking for a good cause. Um, yeah, this beer's already off to a good start for me. So, shout out to uh, Lupulin Brewing out of uh, Big Lake, Minnesota. And shout out to Melissa. Hope you're doing all right. Let's crack open the conversation, Nate. <laughs> While you're pouring that up, I suppose I can get uh, get started on the plot here. Yeah, why don't this you? One. Uh, so the intro is a little different, um, but it opens up with basically a remastered um, version of the scene from the very first, the opening scene from the very first Toy Story. Um, it has yeah. to do with um, dot or Potato Head robbing some or yeah potato head robbing something and woody chasing it down and then all the other characters kind of start piling in um a lot of really fun references to the first movie uh the force field attack dog and or the yeah force field attack dog and then the t-rex that eats force fields which is just awesome uh yeah so that scene plays out and can i say one thing just about that first scene yeah um so we haven't talked Toy Story 4 yet, obviously, but I like that the first five minutes of every Toy Story film really have something very distinct in common. And that's that they all kind of have, I guess, what we'd maybe call like a, a cold open in television mm-hmm. where you have this scene with characters from the show, but it maybe doesn't necessarily relate or correlate to the opening scene of you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's like a maybe a little foreshadowing, maybe some character backstory. And um every first scene in Toy Story is kind of this throughout the first three films is like this self aware moment of fiction existing within fiction. Where, you know, Toy Story One, you have toys playing pretend, you know, like a Western bank robbery, you mm-hmm. know. Um uh Toy Story Two, you have uh rex playing a buzz light your video game you know and then three this western so it's kind of these things that don't necessarily relate to the the following 90 minutes of any of those films but fantastic like just character development within those little opening scenes yeah well it throws you right in um yeah you know and the movies are fairly short especially by today's standards so like you really need to jump into these to get all that character development through. Um, but yeah, it, it, and a lot of, t- or a couple of these, like they don't really have much to do with anything in the movie at all. It's just like, uh, these are toys. These are like, yeah, it's just goofy. Yeah. Um, which is a lot of fun. And that's what I really loved about the opening for this one is where it was like, we, we saw this play out. But this time we kind of get to see what's going through Andy's head, how he's picturing all the toys playing. Yeah, and it was big too. Like just before we realize that we're in the room, you know, I mean, it's a big like Western, like it feels like something out of like a, a John Ford movie, you know, where it's like, it's just a testament to how these movies truly get bigger 
one after another. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about last episode how Toy Story 2 really is kind of like a road movie for these toys. You know, how it's really like this adventure. They go outside of Andy's bedroom, outside of Sid's room. Um, and I think Toy Story 3 kind of continues with that of just trying to uh, make make a, a bigger world. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the other kind of overarching theme with this is this one is them discovering mortality, which is pretty... I don't know if I discovering it, but making them deal with it, which is pretty pretty dark. Yeah, and uh, like the heavy. way of dealing with it is, it's interesting too. I mean, we'll get to that later. Yeah, we're still yeah we're talking the entire overarching theme, uh, and we've discussed the first opening scene. Yes, um, but yeah, so from there, um, they kind of it cuts to the scene. Um, where they're hiding in the toy or actually it goes through like a home video montage of Andy playing with his toys, slowly growing up. Um, then it kind of cuts to the current where the toys are in the toy box. They clearly have been there for a while and they've got a, um, Andy's cell phone. And so they call Andy's cell phone from their home phone so that Andy like will open the toy chest and hopefully play with them for a little bit. Um, which obviously doesn't work. Uh, then they're talking about um, getting put into storage, which is, I think, what they're kind of planning on anyway, uh, getting put up in the attic. A mm-hmm. uh, little back and forth kind of stuff happens, and they end up accidentally thrown out on the curb for garbage. Um, they kind of take this as Andy abandoning them. Woody, however, sees how it all went down, tries to convince them. He's not a very charismatic leader. Um, Woody is the bad guy in every story. Um, that's pretty comes pretty clear. Nate hates cowboys and westerns. <laughs> Correct. Um, but then, yeah, then it kind of follows. They end up at Sunnyside Daycare. Um, and that's kind of where everything really kicks off. Uh, they basically find this new potential for playtime with a bunch of kids um that's where we're introduced to lotso the strawberry smelling bear which honest to god pretty impressive think about i mean think about how strong that bear must have smelled fresh out of the box because they make a comment a couple times in the movie like oh smells like strawberries even after he's in the trash like when sid picks him up yep like yep and we'll get to that later too but uh yeah i i Something kind of repulsive about it, though. Yeah, a little like bit. Like a bear with a permanent strawberry like scent. I don't know, but but like, oh. but like I said, imagine opening that toy. Like how strong that must have smelled. Where, I mean, they show the whole Lotso growing up sequence, or the kid that Lotso was with growing up, and yeah, I'm picturing like the scent of like a little tree air freshener like when you just take the whole thing out that's just what lotso <laughs> was out of the box rough but i will say when we're first introduced to lotso he's definitely that charismatic leader that woody never was true he's got i mean woody thought he was kind of the leader of his gang lotso is like the leader of a whole toy town mm-hmm. and you know big dude lovable dude but then we find out there's a uh, more than meets the eye, and Lotso's maybe not such a great dude. Yeah. Um, so it turns out Lotso's running this whole scheme where the new toys get put in with the small kids 
who end up just tearing the toys apart because children are monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they try to transfer over, and Lotso doesn't let them do that. Um, Buzz tries breaking out. He gets caught, and they factory reset him, which was kind of fun seeing Buzz like back to annoying Star Command Buzz. Yep. Um, He's basically just a bad cop. Yeah. Like, once they reset him, he just goes back to, like, bad cop. Well, I, I don't know if I'd call him a bad cop. It's more like he, yeah, he's there to... He's there to help whatever regime is in power. Yeah, he's a mercenary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, turns out the Space Rangers really have no uh, loyalty. It's not a big thing for them. Um, and then basically a whole little breakout theme ensues. Um, they find, uh, or, oh shit, I forgot. Woody basically is off on his own little adventure playing with this small kid. And then he finds out. Um, that the toys he left behind, Buzz and the gang, uh, are pretty much doomed at the daycare. So he's got to break back into the daycare and save all of his friends. Big breakout scene ensues, um, and the toys end up on a garbage truck. Garbage truck, and then, yeah, heading to a, uh, like a trash yard and basically to an incinerator. I mean, pretty elaborate chain of events, but eventually we go from garbage truck to, um, these toys just staring into a, a, a ball of inferno, you know? And I guess this is what I was talking about earlier. Like, I'm not really sure the message in that because it's like the first time we see the toys give up in any of the movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Woody's like the last one, but they're all like accepting their fate. Like all these toys are holding hands. And then even Woody, like you see him kind of reach up and you're like, oh, is he going to save the day or something? And yeah, he just chains hands and they're going to die and they're accepting it. And this is in a rated G movie. Yet another moment where Woody needed to be a better leader. Um, and he wasn't. Nah. Um, at chalk that up to the list of Woody's failures. And, I mean, it is a children's movie, so inevitably these toys do get saved. And tell me, how do you feel about how they save them? Oh, with the alien, with the claw? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... I don't know. It, it felt like they wanted to do the really dark scene, and then they just needed a quick way to get them out. It felt like a cop-out to me, especially with those characters. Like, they're not even really... I mean, they're speaking characters, arguably, but they're like, they're like if Woody only had like his pull string for mm-hmm. lines, you know, like these characters have like five, five different lines of dialogue that they deliver. Yeah. And I don't know, to see the aliens like save all the toys, it just to me was like, they never really had that same connection that like Buzz and Jesse have or Buzz and Woody or Woody and Slinky. So it's like to have kind of these three like comic relief characters save the gang just felt kind of almost like bad writing, but almost kind of like in bad taste too, where it's like you go from this super heavy moment to that. And it just, it's like the one moment in the movie that I just feel like really doesn't fit. Now, the only counter to that I have is like in that fiery inter yeah, the inferno scene, Mm -hmm. Like, you needed all of the main characters as a part of that scene. 
because like these are all the characters again with the relationships they're all important characters so you needed all of them to be grabbing hands the alien character the alien toys pretty much write off toys they like sure. so they it wasn't important that they were in that scene because like who really like if if it cut to a part where the aliens are all holding hands like i don't know but what if the other toys from sunnyside lotso's crew saved them because then you basically get the same effect that you have from the misfit toys in toy story one that's true that would be a powerful turn where it's like those characters even though they have less screen time and less i mean the the aliens have been in all three movies Mm -hmm. but i just feel like there'd be much more of a connection if like that baby came and saved them you know what i mean yeah uh i mean then you'd have to figure out how the the those toys got to the junkyard because they weren't on the garbage can or in the yeah garbage dump but i mean still doable it's a cartoon you can figure it out and man lotso (laughs) he really like buries himself at the end there i mean Uh there's there's two distinct moments where woody tries to save him and well he doesn't try to there's only the one well the first one he goes back to the lid before the trucks come well that was to get buzz he didn't try to save Lotso out of there. I think Buzz fell in. I thought Buzz was still with them. I thought he went. I thought they got everyone, and he went back to pop the lid to save Lotso because someone there was one person. No, he Lotso grabbed one of the aliens. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. What Lotso it was. grabbed one of the toys, and they fell in. Um, and then, but in the other scene where Lotso's stuck under the golf clubs, and Woody and Buzz come down to pull his ass out. Yep. Lotso gets into a position not more than 30 seconds later where he can save all the toys by hitting a button. And he's like, ah, screw you guys. And yeah, how did he out. get there again? Um, he, like, was closest to the wall and he climbs up that little ladder. Oh, like, Woody right, and Buzz right. give him a lift to get up to the ladder. Right. Yeah. But then he just says, screw all y'all. So I would say in all these movies... The Lotso has so far been like the actual evil character. Like, there's not really a lot of saving grace. He's got, you know, he's got his demons, he's got his history, but like, he just is doing the worst thing all the time. Yeah, I think Stinky Pete maybe talks a bigger game or like sounds more menacing than Lotso, but Lotso by his actions is definitely the biggest antagonist we've seen in the Toy Story franchise. I agree Ooh. with that. Another thing for our potential rating scales here. Yeah. We could rank the most evil or our favorite villains or like most evil. We can yeah. maybe we workshop that. I like There's that. There's always one yeah. in all these movies. That could be fun. I've really grown to like Sid throughout this. We'll get to him in the fun facts. Yep. But uh, I think we're basically to like our final closing moments of the movie at this point. Um, yeah, they kind of cuts back to Sunnyside. Um all the toys are kind of living in harmony. They've basically created a new system where all the toys, yeah, it works out for everybody. Yep. Um, uh, Barbie and Ken are running it now. Yep. Which, that was kind of a fun thing. I'm sure that's in the fun facts here, too. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, and then, oh, and then Andy is heading off to college, and he's about to put all of his toys in storage, but instead he brings them over to... 
one of the reoccurring characters throughout this movie, Bonnie. Bonnie, yep. Bonnie, who's, yeah, basically Andy's age, was Andy's age when Andy was playing with these toys, maybe a little bit younger. Um, and there's this whole scene where he introduces each toy to Bonnie. Um, it's kind of an emotional scene. And even before that, I feel like there's kind of a scene for the parents where you have Andy's mom walking into Andy's room as he's packing his final box. And Andy's like way taller than her. And like there's like that final hug and, you know, the say goodbye to the family dog and little sister kind of moment. And it was mm-hmm. like, that's definitely the one of those we're watching it now. It's like, oh, yeah, that's one that that's one that'll make your mom cry. But uh, great scene, man. I think this movie probably might have arguably the best ending of any of the toy stories yeah well i think it put us there's a lot more emotion in this movie than the other two yeah so a good resolution scene was very nice definitely um but yeah then andy goes off to college he um he takes he takes woody no no woody stays yeah he was going to take woody with um yeah they go to bonnie yeah they go to bonnie um but then right at the end he decides to leave woody with all of his friends yep. and move on really cool scene he's telling yeah bonnie all the backstory and stuff i yeah i really liked that yeah um uh, but yeah that that about wraps it up for that yeah um fun one we'll get uh we'll touch back at the very end on what we you know our general final consensus on this film is but uh it's it's pixar it's toy story it's not gonna be bad um nope. And you know what else isn't bad is this beer that we're drinking right now. Hot damn. You got any uh, notes on this one? We're about probably almost done with it now. Yeah. uh, Fruit Loaded is kind of an understatement. I mean, this kind of tastes like I'm biting into raspberries in a good way. Um, Yeah. Not in like a milk sugar lactose kind of, you know, fruit bomb like that. It's just still pretty light, but there's a ton of flavor packed into this. Yeah, and I've started to grow like I've started to like find an appreciation for fruited ales. I feel like, you know, I was for a while there I mainly just liked fruit and like sours and stuff. Mm. But after a while you can only have so many sours, but something like this, I mean, this is one where I could probably have a couple of these. I mean, this is super light. It's a fruited wheat ale. It kind of reminds me a lot of um bald man's hot summer night oh yeah just the way the raspberry comes through um i really like it man it's really smooth super light what's the uh abv on that one uh i want to say it was like five two five five okay yeah and they got the ibus too 13 for that but uh yeah man if you uh if you like light beers if you like fruited beers if you like wheat beers and if you like drinking for a good cause, um, this is definitely one to look out for. Again, portion of the proceeds go to uh, National MS Society. So, and if you don't like any of those things, this podcast is probably not the one for you. <laughs> That's right. You can you can hit the the off switch now. Exactly. Um, um, yeah, man. This is um. They really nail that fresh raspberry flavor. You know yeah. I mean, like. Sometimes when you get these fruit flavors in beers, it it ends up like on the artificial side. Um, but this one is just subtle enough where 
yeah, it tastes like a fresh raspberry kind of floating in the beer there, which is really nice. Strawberry, too. Yep. Well, strawberry is kind of hidden behind the... I think raspberry is just a much more dominant flavor. Yeah. Um, and strawberry, too, if you were to try to pull it out, it would probably get to that artificial, medicinal kind of flavoring. True. Um, but, yeah, this is great. Yeah, Another. this is definitely going to be on my buy again for the summer list. Oh, um, God, yeah. And all of our beers today come to us uh, from Umbibulous. We're drinking out of our Umbibulous low balls tonight. Um, yeah, haven't been by there in a while, but... Uh, I think we're I, I'm pretty sure at least... Yeah, these last three episodes, we for sure had the Umbibulous low balls. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if we were drinking I, I don't really want them. a different glass. They're nice, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're heavy. Yep. Um... But yeah, so shout out to those guys as always. Um, Henpex, Lupulin, Fruited Wheat Ale. Um, I'm going to give it a 3.8. Okay. I like it. I would buy it again. Um, I think... Hmm. I think what this beer could have maybe used would have been um i don't want to say that now You're on i don't there. know i was thinking maybe like so here's my thing i i don't think i like this as much as the hot summer night from bald man okay and i'm thinking maybe if this just had a little bit of citrus it would help both of those flavors just come through a little more but then it's like you add the citrus and there's always that chance of getting that tartness where then it's like might as well have brewed a sour. Yeah. I don't know. That's like my only critique. Um, 3.8 would buy again. Would love to try this beer with a little hit of citrus. Think it would be dank. That yeah, honestly, just like a little lemon squeeze in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go a little higher. I'm probably going to go four two with this one. Nice. Um, very pleasantly surprised. I think the only thing I would have liked to see is maybe a little more full body. Sure. Um, little more of that unfiltered wheat um but even without that yeah this is just i don't think i don't think there's anybody that i could hand this beer to that they wouldn't like it like it's not overly sweet it's got tartness but it's not it's not aggressive on any front um which is really nice beautiful color too oh yeah just kind of a pale almost kind of honestly if you were to blend raspberries and strawberries together that would probably be the color yeah you know like the jose cuervo like the pink margarita mix you can get or like oh those, yeah. it looks like that just like a cloudy nice pink almost yeah looks like a strawberry marg yeah into it yeah big Real into tasty. it well shout outs to lupulin uh shout outs to melissa and thank you again for brewing a beer for a good cause so that being said, the ratings being in, what do you say we take a quick little break and come back hot with some fun facts? Love fun facts. All right. We'll be right back. What a nice bear. And he smells like strawberries. What's up, everybody, and thanks for sticking with us. We're back with some Toy Story 3 fun facts, as promised. But before we dive into that, it's time to introduce... Our main event beer of the evening. Uh, this comes to us from... I'm just going to throw it out there. It's my favorite brewery. 
This is the first time I've disclosed my favorite brewery, but I think it's got to be Bang. Blackstack's probably a close second, but Bang Brewing Company out of St. Paul, Minnesota. And keeping with the theme of threes, uh, we're drinking their triple IPA known as the Huge Ale. Uh, we got a 750 of it from them. It is a 10% alcohol by volume. Uh, 25 IBU triple IPA. So without further ado, let's pour up some samples. Very excited. Um, so bang was always one that I, I had, I, I had thought I read something about them, but then I had talked to a few people and I had never, they're like, I don't know who that is. I'm like, I swear to God, they're in the city. And I thought it was just something like I made up in my head. Like they, it was some mythological brewery that I just willed into existence. Um, so I was very excited when I started seeing their stuff around. Um, everything I've had, I've had three, maybe four beers from them, and they're delightful. Yeah, I highly recommend. Um, they do a really good dark ale that's really good. Um, they do a really good, I believe it's a. They either do a champagne or a brute IPA, I feel like, like a super light one. Um, it was a brute. Maybe a brute, but uh, yeah, they do some really great stuff, but I'm excited to try this, so. All right, all right. Cheers, man. Also, I, I love the name. It's just huge ale. Like, okay, sure. Even their logo, just for being like a simply named brewery, bang, like it's yeah. just a giant exclamation point styled like a hop cone, like. It's a very clean nice looking logo i honestly don't i think uh, yeah one thing that kind of threw me off when i was trying to decide if i just thought up this brewery or if it was real i was like oh let's go online see if they got like a facebook page or anything no facebook page yep like, oh okay and then yeah they're just super small operation i guess it's tiny man stuff. they're literally set up inside of a grain silo i mean it's like no other tap room in the state i would highly recommend like just little getaway by yourself date night evening with the buddies go check out bang when they're open because it's a lot of fun date night with the buddies date night with the buddies you know <laughs> it's 2021 man hell yeah <laughs> uh toy story 3 fun facts um so creators of this film took inspiration from classic prison films like The Great Escape, uh, Shawshank Redemption, and Cool Hand Luke when creating the escape from the Sunnyside Daycare, Ooh. which it kind of makes sense because you kind of, um, even like heist movies, you kind of have that thing where like it plays out the scene like ahead of time where they talk about, you know, you got to take out the monkey and you got to do this and the key's hidden there and like you get walked through like this whole escape and then they actually have to do it. Yeah. Um, so I think it definitely comes through. It definitely feels like um, a kid's movie playing homage to these movies that their parents are probably familiar with. I'm trying to think if there's any Shawshank Redemption, like rip off scenes. I was trying to think of that too, but then I realized I don't think I've seen that movie in like the last 10 years. So I swear to God, that movie, whenever I, like whenever I'm out traveling for like work or anything and I get to the hotel after a long day, it's always on. Oh yeah. It's always on. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch this forgetting that it's like a three hour friggin' movie. <sighs> so long. It's so good though. Uh, 
now I'm going to be thinking, I'm going to try to replay that whole thing. But you continue. I'm going to see if they ripped off any Shawshank scenes. (laughs) Yeah, let let us know if you figure it out. Um, So did you know that producer Darla Anderson said the trash in the film was the hardest thing that they at Pixar had ever had to animate? Really? They just said, like, well, aside from the animation, they said there was, like, over a year of research and development put into how the like waste system works in the U S point A to point B, the conveyor belt, the magnet, the incinerator, the truck, the crusher, all that stuff. They needed to first figure out how that worked before they could even try to take a stab at animating it. So there was a ton of time put into that process and also just the trash. They said trying to, animate something where you weren't going to see like the same wrapper replicated across the whole screen you had to build all these individual pieces of trash and they said because a lot of trash is plastic glass foil you're animating things that in the real world reflect so they said there was a huge issue with that just not having it be like you know one not you know the same receipt every other frame yeah but also not just having like all these weird glares coming off of gum wrappers and stuff the like i'm just thinking through that process and like how annoying it would be just like a small speck of trash that's going to be in one scene and you're like (sighs) spending 20 minutes half an hour just coloring it right texturing it right i mean i was working on like i'm trying to dive into after effects right now which is like their adobe's animating stuff and just trying to get textures right is and the the program now is a lot better than it was when this came out and it's still like holy shit just a plastic feel like i was just seeing if i could do like the plastic textures that they use on like woody and buzz and things like that jesus (laughs) (laughs) yeah man it's complicated stuff i mean digital animation is is nothing to take lightly it's like I said, I think in the first episode, a lot of people think, ah, oh, we need to blow up this car. Let's animate it. It's going to be cheaper. Well, not always if you want it to look good. A lot of times if you want to animate something and have it look as good or better than real life, it's it's going to be more expensive. Well, and back to that, um, we were talking about a little bit off air, but um, back in the first episode when we were talking about the army men yep. and how they studied how to animate that by having or strapping boards to people's feet and having them walk like that so they could see how these army men would move if they're alive. Yeah. Like I and I feel like it makes a lot of sense because while we may like people may have never seen that we're going to look at that and be like, "Well, that's not how that would work." Right. You you wouldn't move it like that. Yeah. And so like um with the Barbie and Ken thing like you brought up yeah, we were just talking about that off air, like, between the break. I mean, the articulation of the Barbies in the movie, it's like they move like you would picture Barbies would move if they came to life. Yep, like, they they don't get extra movement in their arms, they don't get extra joints, their arms move up and down, and they get, I think they have an elbow. Yes, I and, think they have an elbow. But, like, there's plenty of scenes where, like, they're excited and they raise both their hands up, like, uniform into a field goal position because Barbies don't have more movement. And there's like a scene where Ken turns and walks away and he's got that 
kind of like robotic walk, like hands out, fingers pointing straight ahead, like yeah, well, because his legs are attached at the side of the butt cheek. Yeah, like <laughs> that is too how I would walk if my legs were attached at the side of the butt cheek. It's uh, they yeah, just a real good job with that digital animation. It's hard, folks. Yep, and that's coming from someone who knows nothing about it. Um, next up, did you know? There was a um, alternate, or shouldn't say alternate. The original script for Toy Story three was much different than what we ended up getting. Um, so initially, it was going to be produced by another branch of Disney called Circle Seven Animations. So Pixar was not going to get duties on this one, um, and that was uh, originally they did uh, press packets for that in like two thousand and five, and it was going to be released in two thousand and eight. Instead of uh, the film we got, which I think came out in 2011, maybe? I think, yeah, 2010 or 2011. 2010. I'm pretty sure 2010. Um, so, yeah, originally it was going to come out before that, and it was going to be from a different animation studio. And the story was much darker, which is hard to imagine, because this movie already has some pretty dark moments. But, uh, yeah, so in the original drafts, Buzz was actually going to be recalled in the movie. Um, leading to Miss Davis, Andy's mom, sending him back to a factory in Taiwan. Uh, And basically, yeah, it was going to be this whole road movie again where all the toys, you know, head out to Taiwan to try to save Buzz from the factory. Um, And they said there was even storyboards that existed for a scene where basically Buzz was lying on an operating table with all the toys, like, gathered around him. Like, as he was, like on the edge of death and it was like jeez for a kids movie i mean i don't know so i'm glad we got the toy story 3 we got i mean as much as i kind of like the idea of one of the toys getting recalled it just seems seems a bit heavy for something that's going to be catered towards you know six to ten year olds or whatever uh quick thing because i needed to know like, because I've never heard of Circle 7 animation. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, like, if they, or, like, what they had produced. And apparently it was a short-lived division of Walt Disney feature animation um, intended to create sequels for Disney-owned Pixar properties. So essentially the origin of this company, or this division... <laughs> Do Pixar cheaper. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it started at the end of Toy Story 2 in 1999 when then Disney CEO Michael Eisner and then owner of Pixar Steve Jobs began to disagree on how Pixar should be run in the terms of the continued relationship. Um, Eisner apparently didn't like Toy Story 2, uh, said it didn't count towards the original film or, yeah, the original film count of the agreement jobs disagreed um after 10 months of negotiation jobs is like we're not renewing our agreement with disney um so job which i'm not gonna say jobs backed out because that doesn't seem like what it sounds like um and eisner found these terms unacceptable tried to do this new thing um he got uh, John Lasseter. So John yep. Lasseter is back. Well, he was um, he was on two as well. Yeah. So um, I think this was Toy Story three was the last one that he was involved in of the Toy Story films because mm-hmm. he did not get 
to be a part of Toy Story 4, I believe. Yeah. Um, he had done Toy Story, Bugs Life, and Toy Story 2. Um, but last produced a bunch of other Pixar stuff. Yeah. Um, Cars, I think he was on. Yeah, but it, basically what it sounds like is they didn't actually... Oh, yeah. The first and only projects the studio worked on were early drafts of Toy Story 3, Monsters, Inc. 2, Lost in Scaradice, which is not a movie. I don't know that one. And Finding Nemo 2. I don't think this is a... I don't think that's a movie. Oh, it ended up turning into Monsters University. So essentially they um. scrapped the project. And, uh... Okay. Sounds like kind of a... I mean... I don't know. It seems like a Disney kind of trying to cut out Pixar to me. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. But I'm glad you brought up Steve Jobs because that actually ties in perfectly with our next fun fact. So by the time Toy Story 3 came out, or rather was in pre-production, um, so we're probably talking like 2008 here, um, I don't know if Steve Jobs was necessarily affiliated with Pixar on paper at that point. I think as you talked about, he'd kind of distanced himself a little more from the company. Um but it was reported that he actually called to check on the production and personally called a couple of the producers and asked them how it was going. And basically the response was, it's going great. Everything's falling into place. Everything's going perfectly. And his kind of reply was to be careful. That's a very dangerous place to be in. So, I mean. All right. I, man. Very cool that he called to check in. Very, like, <laughs> weird thing to say to someone who may or may not be sleeping under their desk <laughs> animating a children's movie. But also, I get it. Like, um, you know, when I was going to school um, for film, I definitely felt that there were times where I was able to work a lot better and collaborate better and ultimately deliver a better product when that pressure was cranked up to 10, you know? Mm -hmm. And... So, so I get, I get kind of where he's coming from. I think sometimes if you're going through, if you're on set and nothing's gone wrong day one, watch out. Yeah. Watch out. You know, so it is a dangerous place to be in, but, uh, wise words from Mr. Jobs there. Um, so this is kind of a fun one, maybe not so much for Disney, <laughs> but did you know that Disney actually got sued because Lotso is too similar to a product made by a company called Dias Dice, Dias Lisa Industries, uh, who owns the Lots of Hugs trademark. So basically, they were making a bear, a Lots of Hugs bear, and Disney came out with this movie, and it didn't exactly paint their bear in the best of light. So, <laughs> well, not only that, but like, I don't think the company would have been all that upset. But like, they're not paying Disney, and or Disney's not paying them anything for it. Like, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't see how it all played out, but I have to imagine a company like Disney, you're probably not going to beat them in court, but I imagine that the Dice Lisa Industries got some sort of settlement out of it. Yeah, probably. Um, so, did you know that John Morris, voice of Andy from Toy Story 1 and 2? Yeah, Andy was in 2, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. barely. So yeah, he was from Toy Story 1 and 2. Um, he returns after a nine year absence, uh, from voice acting and, um, Lee Unkrich, who I believe was the director of this film, um, 
Yeah, he insisted on getting the original actor back on board. Just the continuity thing felt it would fit the theme of, you know, the audience kind of growing with the characters. Um, and I think it was a cool move. Um, yeah. So, yeah, original Andy is back. Well, and there's, I mean, in from these first three movies, this was probably the one that Andy talked, or Andy had the most lines. You know, the first one, there was some That's odds true. and ends, but it was mostly just a statement here and there. The second one, he was absent from most of the movie. Like, he went to that cowboy camp. Um, in fact, I don't think there was really even a full sentence said by him in the second one. So, yeah, just to have that same voice back, I think, would be kind of weird, though. Because, like, I can't imagine he was, you know, eight or nine when the first one came out. I'm, right. I don't know for sure. But, like, can you imagine trying to have to age your voice? It feels, I don't know, weird. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I didn't even think about that. Like, he's obviously not going to be the same age as the character he's betraying. Right. Um. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I do want to backtrack just a second. Apologize for the hesitation. Lee Unkrich, Unkrich he is the director of this film. Some confusion there. Him and Lasseter have both been a, uh, part of uh, a number of Toy Story projects kind of been with it from the get-go, be it directing, editing, screenwriting, animating. But, um, so yeah, he, he joined the team in 94, 94 as an editor. Um, Lasseter directed the first Toy Story. Lasseter directed the second Toy Story with co-direction from Unkrich. Unkrich? I'm going to say it both every time just so I'm not wrong. Exactly. And then... Uh, <laughs> Hedge your bets. Yes. And yeah. then for uh, Toy Story 3, Unk Rick Rich, he... Uh, he um, the Unk Richening? Yes. He he got the directing nod. So, yeah. Apologies, Lee. Well, it's all your baby. You had talked about that, like, where basically a co-director is basically an understudy for directing. Or was that production? Well, I was... That was assistant directing, I think, assistant the conversation. Directing. Assistant okay. directing is, like even though it's got directing in the title, it's really not a, well, it is a department head. It's not a necessarily a creative role. Co-director would be, you'd still get a creative role. I feel like a uh, best example of co-direction would be like uh Coen's brothers. Sure. You know? Oh yeah. Okay. One's probably working more on shots. One's probably working more with talent. One's probably, you know, they're both probably writing. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, but co-direction, I feel like, isn't quite as common just because it's really hard to have a shared vision when you're working with millions and millions of studio dollars. And the studio is going to want a very specific thing. Yeah. You yeah. will still see it at like an, on an indie level, though. Sure. Um, but yeah, um, also, talking about uh, returning people, um, the voice of Sid came back which was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, the uh, voice actor, Eric Von Detten, he returned um, basically for a little cameo, just uh, <laughs> voicing Sid, who was the... The uh, garbage man. The garbage man, yeah. And Eric Von Detten was uh, 27 at the time of that um, when he recorded that role. But also, uh, yeah, was another thing that was important to uh, the, or, uh, the production team, getting... Um, old talent back on board even if it was just for a bit part yeah well it, i mean it was a fun part um and it was kind of a, a comeuppance to lotso because lotso 
finds his way out of the um, the trash heap. He's running or on a road. Truck's coming by, so he you know plays dead. And uh, Sid finds him on the side of the road in his gar. Sid pulls over his garbage truck, finds him on the side, and then straps him to the front of the garbage truck. Yeah. So what comes from that is Sid didn't really learn his lessons with toys. True, but also I feel like Pixar kind of gave Sid the raw end of the deal. I mean, what are they trying to imply? Like, if you break toys as a kid, the best you got is garbage man. Like, I'm not knocking the profession at all because it's a hard job and the pay's not bad. But it they definitely weren't trying to make it seem like he's doing well now you know what i mean but at the same time he's by no means a bad guy in toy story 3 no it was just kind of like they painted him as this kind of underachiever like i think i mean he yeah he came in um kind of fit like with his whole thing where uh kind of likes to wreck stuff break stuff well if you want to wreck stuff and break stuff that's a good point yeah that's I a good mean, point. That's basically your job. Make big things into smaller things. And he's still listening to music super loud. He had all like the metal posters and stuff in his yep. his room in the first movie. So that's a constant. So yeah, maybe it's his portrayal isn't as bad. But you know what was bad? This isn't a fun fact. This is just something I wasn't a huge fan of. The Buzz Lightyear Espanol mode. Makes the movie like seem a lot older than it actually is, doesn't it? Uh-huh. That was uh that was a weird bit. It was really weird. And it wasn't just a bit. It was like the last forty minutes of the movie. Is it really that yeah? It was it was a long time. I mean, he goes back to normal buzz after a certain point, but even like the post credits is like, oh, okay, he's just a salsa dancer now. Like it's just the movie's trying to basically tell us that all Latinos are either soap opera stars, matadors, or salsa dancers. Yeah, like it, it was weird that it changed his entire personality. Like, like I mean, totally different. He was like no other character from Toy Story. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there was still plenty of like the Star Command bit, but uh, definitely like upped his. It made him less nervous around Jesse. Yes, which, which Jesse liked it. Yeah. Which is also kind of a weird thing. Like, yeah. Does Bussy, d- Bussy, does Jesse have issues with Buzz the way he is? You know? Well, I think she's just waiting for Buzz to make some sort of move. Mm. You know, that was, uh, their thing Damn. is like that will they, won't they kind of thing. Yeah, and it's been like 12 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, but Buzz. they're toys, so they either get ripped apart or their lives are infinite true you know i i just felt like buzz's character reminded me of um you're a king of the hill guy right yeah you remember the character from like the show within the show like the the mexican soap opera that peggy was always watching oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that buzz reminded me of that dude who will like kick ass kiss the girl and then go into like a song and dance number and i was just <laughs> like what wh- why do we need to do this right now yeah it um like, I mean, it was kind of funny, like, with, like, a, a sp- because, like, Buzz has lines, like, his toy has lines. Yeah. So to have a Spanish mode was kind of funny, because um, I think some toys probably did. But it was, yeah, like, the, the weird character change for Buzz was a little strange. 
it, they were trying it was like pixar i just felt like in that moment not even that moment in the last like 40 minutes any scene with buzz they were kind of like nudge nudge like this is funny this is funny right where it's like yeah there were a couple times where i was chuckled just like the inflection he put on something but it's like they're really not trying to tell us there's any reason we should laugh at this other than there's a spanish buzz light year like and that's supposed to be funny now yeah oh i don't know though because with that like we're we're used to buzz one way but like he it loosens was, up. He loosens up. You're right. Well, he Buzz. Yeah, Buzz lose. Like he's the original Star Command Buzz. Then he loosens up, becomes a normal toy, or yeah, whatever. Um, and then he gets reset into, you know, Star Command again. Yep. And then becomes Spanish version of Star Command. And like that was an intense character. So I think this was kind of just an attempt to like dial that back yeah like to make that funny without having to um without having to do a scene where like i think buzz ends up just getting hit on the head or something and he, he's back to normal buzz yeah he gets the tv dropped on him i think yeah yeah that's right um yeah it was but there were there were certain parts where i was like i don't get that but i mean seeing buzz light your salsa dance was funny i just don't know why it happened i i agree i think that's uh i i share the same conclusion and question as you do is just why yeah but uh sorry about that guys i know you're here for the fun facts and that wasn't really that fun but uh uh did you know that totoro has a cameo and if you don't know who the heck totoro is it means you haven't been watching your miyazaki films and stop listening to our podcast (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I'm alienating my... a lot of people today. Yeah, yeah. I, man, this is a weird one for me because I'm not a huge anime guy, but I love Miyazaki. Sure. Um, those were movies from my childhood. They're movies I still look back at fondly if I ever get the opportunity. I mean, visiting Studio Ghibli. I mean, visiting Japan is a bucket list item. Getting to walk through Studio Ghibli would be like, I think I would be okay with just whatever comes after life after that you know um did you know there's totoro 2 no yeah there's a sequel really yeah well we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later but there's a sequel to totoro i'm curious so uh my neighbor short film but okay um but totoro first appeared in my neighbor totoro which was a film that came out i believe in the late 80s um and yeah hayao miyazaki um Famous Japanese animator, writer, beautiful work. Um, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, uh, Red Turtle, number of films. Um, but him and Lasseter had actually been friends for a long time. And they, um, like decades, actually, like back to when he was making Totoro. So I guess that was kind of just a little nod um, by Lasseter um, to his friendship. Totoro- he didn't Totoro didn't even have any speaking parts in it. No, I don't think, which obviously plays to the movie. Because, yes. Yeah, which is that's fun. He only existed within Bonnie's room, I think, which also like how cool were all the toys in Bonnie's room? Bonnie's room had some great toys. Just a great. Kid. I mean, those toys were in their prime. Like, yeah. You know, like when Andy was that age, like all the toys were like, I mean, they had that whole operation with the army men and. I'd argue Bonnie's toys are smarter than Andy's toys, though. 
Oh, probably. Like, it seemed like the Toy Story gang that we know, they were kind of like, they still had, uh, you know, they had their toy time and their human time. And they kind of had to snap into it. Whereas, like, Bonnie's toys were like, their toy time with, with Bonnie was, they were just doing improv. Like, they were all <laughs> actors, you know? That when Woody showed up, they're like, "Great job! Like, are you are you formally trained? Like, I think that's one of the lines. I'm like, I or are you classically trained? <laughs> yes, that was that was good. And then their little uh, their the little clip where they were redoing Romeo and Juliet. Um, they one of the aliens was Juliet. Yes, yeah. yes, and yeah. the porcupine was. Um. Yeah, Porky yeah, he was Romeo. Romeo. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love too the line when they're first in Bonnie's room when um, uh, what was it? They're like, "What's your name, cowboy?" And he's like, "My name's Woody." And they're like, "You sure you want to stick with that? It's a new room. You can be whoever you want to be." And they're, like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "No, I got to get out of here." <laughs> just roasting these damn kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, some more fun facts. Um, this is a crazy one. Did you know that 17 animators on Toy Story 3 were return animators from Toy Story 2? And that there were four animators from Toy Story 3 that had worked on all three films. So, Jesus. pretty cool. I mean, it's it's cool to see that, you know, that old breed, as we talked about last week, sticking with it, but also uh, newcomers. So... I just thought that was fascinating. I mean, especially when you have a film where it's the there's there's ten years of a gap between two and three, and you can get seventeen animators to return. I mean, I just thought that was huge. Yeah, uh, when you're working on, I mean, when Toy Story two came out, that was a big deal. So like they had to have known, and especially for how hard they worked to get the voice actors back, I'm sure they made it worth people's while to come back through. Because that another thing with animating. Um, honestly just graphic design in general is you can tell the difference between people's work yeah um having the same person work on a project really yeah adds a lot of continuity to it that you wouldn't even necessarily notice right away um but yeah it's it's pretty important and i feel like that goes back to like 2d print animation even where you talk about like old comic books like people always talked about you know, people always had their favorite artists for Marvel and their favorite people, their favorite inkers and stuff like that. It was, um, yeah, you're 100% right. The um, the animator owns the character in a lot of ways with mm-hmm. their distinct style. Um, so next up, did you know there were 92,854 storyboards drawn over the course of the production Jesus. of this film? let's do a little math here. Of those, about half of them, that's 45,516, were delivered to the editorial department. Editorial then turned those storyboards into eight different milestone screenings that were shown to the Pixar Brain Trust while the film was in development. So you talk about chop, chop, chop. I mean, I had a hard time like reading that number right, much less trying to picture that's almost a hundred thousand different images yep like done by professional like really well done yep i i can't imagine how you would store and sort a hundred thousand different images much less individually like man 
we could talk about that one for a while, but it's going to make my head hurt. Um, this is a fun one. I really like this one. Do you know there's a total of 302 total individual characters in this film? Holy shit. Yeah. Talk about Toy Story getting bigger each time. I mean, yep. Toy Story 1 felt big for the time. I mean, there was nothing else like that at the time. And you look at a movie like this where it's like they can replicate basically any licensed toy they want and put it on the screen because they have the money and they have the tools to to recreate it it's just pretty much any toy company would be dumb not to let them do it oh yeah because like i mean we talked about the etch-a-sketch thing toy story basically saving etch-a-sketch from extinction totally like yeah wouldn't be surprised if barbie sales spiked like oh for sure yeah and all the um yeah, all the different outfits. I bet those started going for a premium, too. Probably from the parents, honestly. <laughs> I mean, we're talking some of those Barbies, 60s, 70s. Yeah. Got to believe there's more than a few moms out there that saw Toy Story 3 <laughs> with their kids and needed to buy, you know, Malibu Barbie afterwards. Yeah, I get it. Um, Did you know that there's more than 300 stickers in Andy's room in the film? You know, it's a weird fact. It is a weird fact, but I mean, what symbolizes being a teenager more than I got stickers in my room, Holmes? Uh, actually, one last thing harping on animation with that. Like, I think a thing people don't necessarily realize. Obviously, it comes out as as soon as you think about it, but nothing exists in these realms by accident. Like, somebody had to design these three hundred different stickers just to put on a wall for a couple scenes for a handful of them yeah but like again nothing exists by accident somebody had to make each individual art piece and it's like holy shit like to fill out a picture like that is it takes so much work and like you were saying earlier sometimes a bunch of work for something that's maybe only going to be in half a dozen frames you know like it yeah it's a lot more it's it's very labor intensive for a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Especially for how much Pixar likes to um, do nods to their other um, other movies, other products. Um, and we see a lot more as we go along in these, but um, like there's a lot of um, cars references in this one um, to Lightning yes. McQueen's number. Um, actually, there was a fun Shining reference again. There's another shining reference in this one. Um, in the scene where the Triceratops in Bonnie's room mm-hmm. is message eye messaging with like a toy down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Velociraptor like two thirty seven, I think. What's the number again? Room two thirty seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's Velociraptor two forty seven. Two forty seven. Two thirty seven. Um, no, two thirty seven. Is it two thirty seven? Um. Yeah, so that's a reference to the you know the director's favorite movie, The Shining. Interesting. Yeah, like who would have guessed? There's this many Shining references to Toy Story. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, just goes to show they're they're inserting stuff for the adults too. So, um, did you know? Oh man, we're back to math. Lotso has three million four hundred and seventy-three thousand. 271 individual hairs organized in several layers of different length and thickness on his body. 
And it looks pretty good I, too, right? I said I wasn't gonna harp on animation anymore, so I'm not gonna not even gonna talk about it. The people at this point, the listeners know how much work that would have taken. Yeah, man. Um like the fact that that number exists, that that number is out there, yeah, means that somebody had to do that, yeah. Like, and while a lot of them may be copied, whatever, you've got to. The computer can only do so much. Yep. And it's only doing what you tell it to do. Yep. Yeah, man. It it just again, so much respect for for animators. Such a weird profession, but uh, it's a field that's really changed a lot. You know. Mm-hmm. hand-drawn animation really isn't a thing in the u.s but you look at you know this high-end digital animation that's being done on computers that aren't even available to the public you know are leagues ahead of what we're working oh on God. and a lot of times they're working on equipment that in their minds is imperfect or broken like as we talked about in the uh last episode they weren't even able to save backups for toy story 2 because their system was just down and that whole movie would not have been it wouldn't have been released. It was almost deleted by some weird code, but there was someone that took some of their work home and backed it up. It's, it's not, a weird, weird thing. Exactly. And we're not advocating for working from home. Not, We're not advocating for taking your work home and working in your off time. Take your time off. It's necessary. But congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Hero. Um, Another cool one here. Did you know that Tom Hanks and Tim Allen insisted that they record their lines together um they had previously done this one day during the making of the original toy story um but yeah after that kind of parted ways uh but it's something that's rarely done in animated films especially uh pixar animated films uh but those guys just both love the chemistry of one another and uh they felt it really played through on screen between their characters and i think i talked a little bit about um Oh, I'm drawing a blank. The wonderful actress that played Bo Peep. She kind of talked about being very removed from this whole family that we think about in film production. But I guess Tom Hanks and Tim Allen, for them, it just was something that they needed to have. Well, for two characters with that much on-screen time together, like, it'd be almost weird. Like, I, I feel like you could get a lot better flow if you were both there. Like, you're constantly talking to this other person in the movie you might as well be there and do this all at once. Yeah. I agree. Um, and this brings us to our final fun fact of this week. Um, it was the highest grossing animated film ever at the time. This film, Toy Story 3, did over a billion dollars at the box office. And on that, I got nothing. I'm shocked. Props Let me to tell you, Pixar. you, I'm shocked. I'm not shocked. <laughs> That, uh, I mean, again, with the gap between two and three, like, huge amount of time, the first two were still classics, like, everybody watched them, so at that point, (laughs) the people that grew up with those movies now have money of their own, and possibly kids of their own, yeah, it's gonna be big. Yeah. I, a billion dollars for a kid's movie. (laughs) Well, scared money don't make none eric <laughs> that's right that's right and with that that brings us to the end of our uh fun facts for toy story 3 uh this week's uh sources were screen rant 
We are Movie Geeks and IMDB. Uh, we're going to take a quick little break, but we will be right back with some music facts, our final film rating, and our final beer rating. So stay tuned. No owners means no heartbreak. What's up, everybody? And thank you for sticking with us. We are just wrapping up our uh, episode on Toy Story 3 here. And uh, before we do that, we got to talk about some music. Mm-hmm. Um, so music in this film was kind of sparse as far as like original tunes with uh, lyrics goes. But, um, you know, as Toy Story does, they had a really nice score that really fit the film. It was done by Randy Newman, accompanying soundtrack of like 20 songs. Randy Newman just killing it. That dude's probably made like 100 songs just for Toy Story <laughs> movies. Um but yeah, not a lot of like, they didn't have like their three big songs like they had like in the first movie. Um, but what we did get was uh, We Belong Together, which was the closing credit song by Randy Newman. Good song. Yeah, great song. I really like it. Not as memorable as some of his other tunes, but also, I mean, it did win um, an Academy Award for Best Original Song. So, I, I mean, mean, it. It's a happy-go-lucky one. It's a, it's a nice song. Yeah. But it's fine. It's fine. Randy, it was fine, okay? Not everything's a hit, Randy. <laughs> um, but, you know, piling on accolades for Mr. Randy. Um, his soundtrack also won a 2011 Grammy Award for Best Motion Picture Soundtrack. So do you think that sucks for, like, the, the soundtrack producers for, like, normal movies when an anime well i don't eh, i i bet it doesn't bother him that much and i feel I like gotta i imagine that there's some sort of like superiority complex when it comes to animated movies versus like i'm not sure who thinks they're better but something inside of me says that one of those two groups thinks they're better than the other one probably but i do think in more recent years they've done a better job of well some people argue it's better some people don't but they've added a lot more awards categories mm-hmm. so i think there's a bigger separation between like features docs animated and shorts sure um but i will say shout out because this is topical uh the academy awards just happened and soul took home uh best animated feature film which we will be getting to it's gonna be our last episode <laughs> unless there's another pixar <laughs> movie before we finish which there might very, be very possible but man, have you seen Soul yet? I haven't. Damn. I haven't watched it. I'm very excited because, like, again, all of these movies, or a lot of these movies, I'm going to, I already know. Um, you should save Soul till we get yeah, to it. Yeah, no, I am going to. We're probably, like, four months away. Probably. Um, Might do some doubleheader recordings. We'll see. Yeah, but there's, I mean, there's a few out there that I haven't seen. I haven't seen Brave. Um, I haven't seen Finding Dory. Uh, there's a couple sprinkling. I don't think I've seen Cars two or three. I know I haven't seen three, but I don't think I've seen two. What's the one with like the vampires that came out? Oh, um, I think definitely vampires. haven't seen that. But uh, I think it's like out, out, outsider, out. No, there's Inside Out, but that's a different one. Yeah. There's no, but it might come to me later. I can see like the the poster. Um. 
All right, continue on. I'll, I'll figure this out. <laughs> um, but yeah, talking about um, oh, onward. onward. Ah, shit. Okay. Yep. Onward. Um, God damn it. But back to talking about the music of Toy Story Three. Um, we did get one really standout song, in my opinion, which was "I Un Amigo," "I Un Amigo and Me," which uh, was a song. Written by Randy Newman. It's just uh, You've Got a Friend in Me, N.S. Espanol, uh, and performed by a French group called the Gypsy Kings that does a lot of uh, kind of uh, Spanish music. They're kind of like a, a French pop band that does a lot of music in en es- en Espanol. And yeah. that yeah. song is friggin' awesome, dude. It is great. It's so spicy. Can I say that? <laughs> god damn it eric (laughs) i don't know that's like that's like the only word i had in mind for that song like it's just yeah yeah i mean i want to hear that lead vocalist like i want to dive into more of his material because he's just got a super like dry a little bit raspy voice but just it fits that song so well he puts so much soul into that song what is it about rasp in a voice where i'm like yeah yeah that that." soul dude you've got you've got beat up vocal cords and i like it it's any time I get the impression that that is not what your speaking voice sounds like, but that is what you straining your singing voice sounds like. I'm like, yep, I see you. You're killing yourself for the fans. And <laughs> and we require, as fans, we require a blood sacrifice. <laughs> and I like it. Exactly. <laughs> Corn harvest would be great this year. <laughs> oh, shit. Um... Well, what do you say we rate our favorite song? I mean, I, it's the Gypsy Kings, man. I agree. It's it's, it's got to be the Gypsy Kings. I think for me, this one. I know we've kind of been rating songs as we go, and I feel like it's easy now because we only are on our third episode. But I feel like it's gonna get harder once we start getting into the teens. But for now, I remember your favorites were "Strange Things," Randy Newman. Yep. The Robert Goulet rendition of You've Got a Friend in Me. Yep. And then the now Gypsy Kings version of You've Got a Friend in Me. So Gypsy Kings is going to go just a little... It's, it's sliding into number two there. Okay. Um, I Again, I love the big band stuff from, um, from the last rendition. And it feels weird having, you know, multiple versions of the same song but they're so different yeah they are very different they do a very good job at that yeah um but this one yeah just a little more fun a little more adventurous and doesn't have a penguin singing the song Eh, whatever it's fine (laughs) it's fine yeah man i i agree it's moving up to my number two spot i'm putting it just below strange things and just above woody's roundup i forgot Woody's Roundup's your third. That's right. I love that tune, yeah, man. I, I get that. I don't know if I love that You're... song as much as I do, like, the patina of that song within the movie. Sure. Like, it just sounds like it's playing through, like, an old phonograph. And I really like that, like... It's fair. I don't know. So, I think what everybody should take away from this moment is that Eric is very pro-cowboy, <laughs> and I'm very anti-cowboy. Yeah. I mean, but anyone who listened to episode two would already know that. This is, it's, it's the exact reason I don't go to Cowboy Slims. Hey, I, 
I'm not a Cowboy Jacks guy. I'm not a Cowboy Slims guy. I'm not even really a Woody guy. I just think <laughs> Cowboys are freaking cool, dude. Okay. All not right. even modern day Cowboys. Like if I see a, a dude with a cowboy hat in a gas station in, in St. Paul, I'm going to assume that he's either got a gun or is a racist or both. But, that, that, okay. But old Cowboys are cool. Old Cowboys. Uh, we'll, we'll dive more into this <laughs> off air. I feel like you're going to say something that is going to get misconstrued again. Like, yeah, that song was super spicy. Eric. <laughs> Friggin'. Oh, my God. Hey, there was salsa dancing to it, man. <laughs> Whatever. I ain't got time for any of that mild salsa. I'm a picante okay for some reason i was thinking, I'm waiting for you to correct no, me Nate. I, i'm not going to correct you i, I feel like back. we're getting spicy now <laughs> it's always spicy in the in the studio yes yeah um so favorite song um you know let's do a little sandwich here let's give a beer rating and then let's finish off with our film rating so we are wrapping up drinking the huge from Bang Brewing Company. It's a triple IPA coming in at 10% ABV, 25 IBU. They put the labels on the cap? They do. Oh, that's yeah. kind of cool. Their bottles are returnable bottles, and they're just neutral uh, painted glass bottles, which I, I'm a huge fan of painted bottles. Yep. Um, it's fun rubbing your hand against it, and like it makes a sound. Yeah. Also, makes really cool glasses. That's true. You get a glass cutter cut that right there and get a beveled edge on it you got a perfect pint glass that's not bad yeah i had a buddy that had a big collection of uh stone brewing glasses he had like all their limited edition 750s and had them all cut sanded and i'd I'd feel bad with this one because it's returnable i can return it and they're gonna reuse it and they're a brewery that pushes you know sustainability but wouldn't turning your beer bottle into a glass still be sustainable i mean do you need the glass well, if you're going to use the glass, though, it's 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 a recyclable. Well, it's a recyclable, but... Better what? in my hand filled with agua than in a landfill filled with agua. Well, and <laughs> you're not wrong there, but is it more sustainable for them to just wash that bottle and put new beer in it versus yes. you turning <laughs> into a glass? Yes, yeah. definitely. Because after you turn it into a glass, then it's going to end up in a landfill. Ah, uh, well, or recycling center. Well, consider uh, me educated. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, you know. I'm here to I'm here to set you straight, kid. You know, I'm a real straight shooter. Some call me a cowboy, you know. <laughs> Got him. Means your self esteem is pretty low. Whoo! Okay. Well, beer rating. Here we go. Um, I think I'm gonna give this a a three seven. Um, it's not my favorite bang beer that I've had, but it is still a very good beer. Um, when, when you were talking about it earlier, it had pretty low IBU and it, it hadn't even registered with me. Like I, I heard triple IPA. I'm like, all right, gonna be, gonna be bitter. Um, and it is not that, um, it's got a nice malt to it. Is something kind of weird at the tail end that I have yet to figure out what it is. Um, still really enjoy the beer. Uh, yeah, three. Did I say three seven? Three seven, I think. Yeah. Yeah, three seven. Three seven's my go. It's a good score. I wouldn't turn my nose up at that. 
Um, as we sip it, I've kind of like, I don't think I would have been looking for things as much had you not brought it up. Um, touch of sweetness at the end. Yeah. Maybe it's just coming from the fact that it leans more towards a malty, bready IPA versus that really dry, piney kind of dank. Um, yeah, I don't know. I... It's a weird thing. I used to work with a guy at the liquor store, my buddy Ryan, who we had on the show. Mm. Ryan's not a hophead, and um, he doesn't like IPAs, but he would always say that every once in a while he could get down on like a double or a triple IPA because they were less bitter and more malty. And that always like was kind of weird to me, like hearing that like five, six years ago, because I always just assumed like, oh, you double it, it's just going to be more bitter. You triple it, it's going to be more aggressive, where it's like, not always, like that aggressiveness doesn't always come out in the hops which is usually where that bitterness comes from sometimes it's in the alcohol you know yeah well this thing hides the alcohol very well it does um, it does it's i mean for a 10 percent beer we just sat down and we drank a 750 between the two of us over this episode deceivingly quick like yep um this is about as aggressive as like a epa maybe I would say even less so. Yeah. So in that category, hot damn. Um, man, I'm a little torn here. I think I'm going to put this, and I'm kind of shocked even saying this, I'm going to give it a 3.6. I think it's probably the lowest score I've ever given a bang beer. I feel like we've reviewed them on the show before, but maybe not. I, I don't know that we have. Um, yeah. I think we're always just too excited to drink them when we get them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've had better from them. This isn't a bad beer. My score might even be in the threes just because I was expecting a home run, but I would buy it again. If you like IPAs, if you like big beers, it's not a bad one. Um, it's just didn't blow me away. Yeah. But it's good. So they got an Italian Pilsner slaps what a great style man mm. italian pilsners czech pilsners um the the i've said this like a million times too on suds buds but uh black stacks fugazi mm-hmm. that was like my beer of last summer dude that beer was so good that's their italian style pilsner i'm i know i've had it i'm just trying to remember it's it it's got the big diamond on the front of it okay like a matte blue can it's uh yeah just I can tell this summer again. It's going to be the summer of, uh, eh, maybe not. Maybe this summer's going to be the summer of Hefeweizens. Oh, there's a shitload of Hefeweizens out right now. Yeah, last summer was loggers and pilsners, but this year might be the search of finding, you know what? We're making a pact right here, right now, from the Suds Buds. Uh Uh-oh. We're going to take it upon ourselves to find the perfect Hefeweizen. Okay. And when we do... We will present it to you, the listeners, on the show, and we will pair it delightfully with the perfect Pixar film, <laughs> which we're yet to find. Maybe it's Toy Story One. Maybe we. Maybe maybe this whole we, series we is downhill been, from here. That that could be. I I don't know. Again, I'm very excited for Bug's Life. I've actually been holding off watching it again until like we're building up to the episode because we got one more of these to go. So this brings up an interesting point right now. I kind of like. I kind of like a little fantasy booking, a little armchair quarterback, a little what would happen kind of thing. Um, before we submit our film rating here, 
do you have like do you have a feeling an inkling of like what your favorite pixar movies like what your top Mm. three might be just like sitting here right now i mean toy story is toy story one's definitely gonna be in there um i think bug's life is gonna be in there and for the third was hmm, i don't know if i have a third kind of want to leave that open yeah you know, I don't, I don't want to commit to it. I don't want to get it in my own head that, like, this is going to be my favorite. See, and I've got the opposite problem. I've almost got too many top spots where I feel like I'm going to end up proving myself wrong. Or, like, having to admit defeat that, no, this isn't my favorite Pixar movie. Because, mm-hmm. like, right now I'm floating, like, Toy Story, Ratatouille, Soul, Incredibles. Those could all hold top three in any particular order, and, and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Like, I yep. love all those movies. Bugs Life, Wally. I mean, there's, man, we picked we picked a good subject. <laughs> you can't go wrong. Like, I'm not going to not enjoy any of these episodes. Yeah, I, ooh, I, yeah, I can't. I don't think I can give a third. Like you mentioned Ratatouille, I'd actually forgotten about that one, but I love that movie. Um, there's actually, um, I could save it for the episode, but I'm just gonna say it now. There's actually this weird moment during quarantine uh, where a bunch of users on TikTok were trying to put together a Ratatouille musical. I heard that, yeah. Um, I would just, at this point, I think it's calmed down a little bit. I'm not saying it's gone, but look up like a compilation of TikTok Ratatouille stuff. People writing original songs, making like, kind of elaborate shoebox sets for how the stage should look for a song costumes like they they went they went wild with it i remember the music in that movie being very beautiful but just kind of like a nice subtle like underlying score yeah um with this one with these like they i mean again they were making it into a musical somebody even went through the trouble of making a broadway style playbill for it um with the front end like yeah the front big picture and everything um really really weird but real fun real Jeez. fun rabbit hole to go down rat hole we'll call it a rat hole a rat hole this. yeah well i don't know man we've uh we've been at this for over an hour now what do you say we uh we rate this film uh so this is also sliding into my number two spot here um I got yeah, got nothing but love for Toy Story 2. I just think Toy Story 3 was done a little bit better. Um, I had a lot more fun with it. Yeah. Um, it feels more like a standalone movie than 2 did. 2 for sure felt like a, a sequel that needed the first one. Definitely. Yeah, I, I'm kind of going to echo that same thought. I'm putting it at my number 2 spot. Um... I agree. I think it holds up better as a standalone film. I think they they do a much better job, Pixar that is, making um, humans appear less creepy in animation. <laughs> yeah. um, I think, you know, whereas Toy Story 1 was a film that was almost void of humans, uh, Toy Story 3, you got a lot of kids and humans and whatnot. And uh, I don't know. And, and Toy Story 2, I mean, I feel like they just do a better job of progressively getting better at animating 
yeah realistic it, things well and what is what's fun about the way we're going through these episodes right now is because we're watching these movies in succession versus when the movie came out we just jumped like 15 years yeah some yeah roughly yeah and so like the animation styles are getting much more progressive so like bugs life's gonna be kind of a trip going back mm-hmm. because like but it's again bugs and there's I think there's one scene with a human in it, but it's mostly the shoe, yeah. I think, um, if I'm remembering right. Whereas but, Ratatouille, soul, mostly human. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's going to be weird going back and seeing, like, less, uh, less progressive lighting, um, just random weird things that we're going to notice. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, man, I was happy with this movie. I, um... I'd be lying if I said that ending doesn't get me a little bit every time, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely don't like it as much as the first, but definitely uh, comes across as a movie that has a lot more to say than the second. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, man. Well, uh, it's been fun. I always enjoy chatting with you in the oh. studio about uh, Pixar films. Well, who wouldn't? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who wouldn't enjoy chatting with you about anything, Nathan? That's that's what everybody tells me all the time, constantly. I'm like, guys, stop showering me with praise. <laughs> Enough from you. That's uh, fair. But we appreciate you all for listening. Uh, we have a fun time doing this each week. Uh, tune in next week for uh, Toy Story Four. And in the meantime, feel free to follow us at SudsBudsPod, that's on Instagram, or email us at uh, SudsBudsPod at gmail.com, that's S-U-D-Z-B-U-D-Z-P-O-D. And yeah, feel free to shoot us any beer recommendations or fun facts on Pixar movies, we'll read them on the air. Or dirt on Tom Hanks. Or dirt on Tom Hanks, don't send us dirt on Tom Hanks. (laughs) It's gonna happen. We're gonna gonna get one. Clean in our hearts. (laughs) That was weird. I shouldn't have whispered that. (laughs) We're done, guys. We're done. Have a great one. We'll catch you next week.
con malistón Mas nunca habrá quien puede ser un amigo fiel Que tú lo sabes Los años pasarán Lo nuestro no morirá Nos vas a ver mejor tener Un buen amigo en mí hay un amigo en mí, un buen amigo en mí, hay un amigo en mí. 